Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. So for the most part, just being immunosuppressed already, um, I try not to touch doorknobs and elevator buttons. Um, and to me, it's just second nature. Mm. Um, but yeah, after coronavirus really hit is when I started really paying attention. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Why not? Because we never get six or get paid. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Really? She's gotten her boobies. And need to talk about more. Don't do it again, because I could die. I'm Anna Sale. Alana Duran was on our show a little more than two years ago, talking about falling in love with and getting a kidney from her girlfriend, Lori Interlicchio. In just a bit, we're going to play that conversation again for you, because it's a nice love story about taking care of each other. Alana has lupus, so we've been thinking about her and wondering how she's coping right now as someone with a serious underlying health condition. I called her in Washington, D.C., where she lives today. She's turning 30 this year. Even though I look young and healthy from the normal eye, I am immunocompromised, immunosuppressed. Um, I take medication that suppresses my immune system. And people with lupus are already at a higher risk of getting viral and bacterial infections. Um, So knowing that, if I were to get coronavirus, I don't think I would make it. To protect her health, Alana decided three weeks ago to stop going into work. When we talked on the show before, she was working in a biology lab, but she just recently started a new career as a pastry chef. It's very cool. It's very fun, and I love it. Um, My employer and boss, she is amazing. And when things really did start to get serious, um, she actually gave us all an option. Are you comfortable coming in to work? If not... Just say, I'm not comfortable to this email, and I will take you off the schedule. Um, And she knows my medical history for the most part um, and was totally fine with me not coming in for, we don't know how long right now. Nobody does. Um, So it was really nice to have that support from her and understanding. So getting, saying, please take me off the schedule. I'm not comfortable coming in. Are you still going to get paid? No, uh-huh. not not in the service industry. I'm not. 
Alana told me she's got some savings, so she isn't worried about paying her bills right now. And she's trying to stay inside her apartment as much as possible, away from other people. And like right now, I do not share an elevator with anybody. Mm-hmm. So when, it, when I do have to go down and grab a package, I will wait <laughs> for another elevator to come. And if that has somebody in it, oh, no, thank you. I'll wait for the next really? one. Just to not yeah. share, just to, because it's too close. Yeah, it's not six feet apart. And I'm like, heaven forbid they cough. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Have you, has, has COVID-19, has it changed the way that you, how frequently you're talking to your doctors or, or anything about your access to medication? Um, currently, no. I have always been getting my medication through a mail-in pharmacy. So before everything really started, they called and they set up a, a date to deliver my medication. So I have about a month or two of some current medications. Mm-hmm. One of the important ones that I've taken, and maybe you've heard in the news, is hydroxychloroquine, Plaquenil. And I've been taking that since the age of 12. Yeah. It is anti-malarial medication. And it is also shows some... Um, potential in helping treat COVID-19 patients. So my doctor did call me on Thursday and she said, hi, Lana, my rheumatologist, how are you doing? Are you working from home? Was the first question. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I actually quit my job for the time being so I could stay home. Second question she asked is, do you have enough Plaquenil? And I said, yeah, I have enough Plaquenil, hydroxychloroquine. Why do you ask? And then she's, she went into it like, hey, this might be a new treatment for COVID-19. So that's the only like um, out of the ordinary call I've gotten with my doctor so far. Yeah. How nice of her to reach out. I mean, I imagine she's quite busy and to call all mm. her patients proactively is good medical care. Definitely. She is really something else. Um, she's very strict. Um, she tells, she's kind of bossy. She tells me what to do a lot. <laughs> I was like, Oh, you know, you do not have to worry about me. I am home, home. I have enough groceries. I have enough medication. I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Do you have, do you feel nervous about your supply? Like, even though you have enough now, do you feel, does that cause some worry for you? If there's a run on it all of a sudden? Um, no, not not right now. Um, but I'm sure that at some point within the next month, I'll be a little bit more worried about it when I need it. Alana, we are rooting for you to stay safe and healthy right now. And because we could all use a feel-good story about people coming together during times of sickness, here's the first time Alana was on our show, back in 2017. We hope you enjoy it. Lori Interlicchio had just finished college and moved home when she tried Tinder for the first time. I mainly just wanted to find some more queer women friends on Long Island. You know, it's not always as easy to go out and meet people or, you know, sometimes you're just looking for people to surround yourself with who are kind of like yourself. And it's, you know, it's kind of like a fun toy. It's like shopping for people online. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing along with her there is Alana Duran whom Lori first noticed during those early days on Tinder. Well, I do remember scrolling through 
Alana's pictures and being like, this girl's really cute. I'm not going to swipe yet because I want to look at her. <laughs> um, and she seemed funny. She had a cute bio. Um, and I remember just thinking that I hope she swiped back on me. And she did. Wait, can you tell them what was on my bio, though? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, she had this joke, and it was... Um, a Mexican a magician. A Mexican magician said, I'm going to disappear on the count of three. And he said, uno, dos, and he disappeared without a trace. And <laughs> I, I love that. It's so corny, but it works. <laughs> I like that joke, but I also love that, Alana, you were like, will you tell the joke that I have in my bio? <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it was really good. Lori and Alana have been together for two years now. When I talked with them, they were in a studio together in New York while I was in California. When they first met, Lori was 22 years old and living with her parents as she applied to law school. She was not looking for anything serious. Alana was 25, still finishing college on Long Island, and by that point, a tender veteran. I, like, matched with a decent amount of people. You're on the market. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Alana knew how to work it on Tinder. Like Lori, she's very cute, fit-looking. And going on dates with people she'd met online had taught her when to reveal that she actually wasn't very healthy at all. When would you disclose that you were dealing with lupus? Um, sometimes, like, beginning talking to them, maybe after, like, a week or so, if it would last that long. Or... I wouldn't really, I'd, I'd kind of say it in passing, like, oh, I had a bunch of health issues, yada, yada, yada. And then when I met with them in person and, you know, we were actually on a date, then I would go into it like a little more detail, um, but not so much to overwhelm them and be like, oh, my God, this is too much for me. Like, let's go, let's go, leave, leave, leave. Lupus is an autoimmune disease with a wide range of symptoms and complications. It disproportionately affects young black women, like Alana, and her case is severe. I still sometimes have a hard time remembering how many surgeries I've had, which sounds funny to regular people. They're like, oh, I just remember I had my wisdom teeth out and, like, you know, my appendix. But for me, it's, it started with a hip infection that led to them taking out my right hip joint um, and then months of antibiotics, and then they replaced the hip. I had another surgery to implant my cardiac device. Um, it's a pacemaker slash defibrillator. Mm -hmm. And, like, there had been times when I was in the hospital for months, like literally months. Um, like one year I missed Thanksgiving because I was still in the hospital. Um, like another time I was just totally missed spring. It felt like, you know, it was just summer by the time I got out. Yeah. And when, how old were you when you got the lupus diagnosis? Um, I was 12 when I was diagnosed with lupus. Um, at first they thought it was leukemia um, or some kind of cancer. Uh, I felt sore um, in places I usually, you know, like my, my joints, my elbows, my hands, my fingers, Places that usually didn't hurt for me were starting to hurt, and I didn't understand why. When did you first realize that this is something that might kill you? Uh, let's see. Uh, really, the heart, my heart function had dropped towards maybe 10%, 12%. And 
even then, I thought I was going to be okay. Like, I had faith in myself and in modern medicine that I would be okay. But the doctors and nurses and even my family and friends weren't sure if I was going to make it through the night. And that's really when, you know, after that, when I was, like, really aware of what was happening, after that is when I really realized that this is something that can kill me. On their first date, Alana told Lori that she had lupus. And then about a week later, Alana told Lori that her kidneys were failing and she was on dialysis to manage it. I had a lot of questions. (laughs) Yeah, Lori definitely did have a lot of questions. Meeting Alana, you just would never, ever know that she was sick. Uh, So I, you know, I'd never, like, talked to someone about dialysis before and just, like, when do you go on it? How long does it take? What does your machine look like? A lot of those kinds of questions um, about her long-term health prospects and, um, you know, needing a kidney. So it's like a whole other dimension of those kinds of really deep conversations you have when you're first connecting with someone that you, you know, are dating. It's like a, a whole other level of how do you think about your life? Yeah, like I think a lot of people will immediately start asking, like, you know, so what do you want to do in the long term? Or, like, you know, do you want kids at some point? Like, these are things that you want to, like, find out about relatively early on. And I guess part of it is, like, hey, if this works out, like, what is our life going to look like, you know? And what did being on dialysis mean for your daily routine? What sorts of restrictions did it put on what you could do and where? So being on dialysis, I did a certain kind of dialysis that I did from home. So pretty much I have this big machine next to my bed, and I would hook it up, and I would do it while I slept. So with that being said, um, nightlife was rather hard. (laughs) I had to be on my machine. My treatment time was 10 hours. So... Most people don't even get, like, seven hours of sleep a night. So to be hooked up to a machine in my bedroom for 10 hours is like an outrageous amount of time. At the end of their nights together, Alana would hook herself up to her dialysis machine while Lori watched. It didn't scare Lori off like Alana feared. It didn't make Lori think about how it didn't need to be like this. Like, I can be a little impulsive and, like, blurt things out. And I remember, like, almost blurting out, like, you know, I asked her what her blood type, blood type was, and she said, oh, positive. And I wanted to just blurt out, like, oh, I'm O positive. I wonder if I could donate. And then I stopped myself and was like, that would be a stupid thing to say right now. Like, think about this. And I went home, and I, the next day, I, I like, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was like, you know, I Googled it, and I was like, maybe this is a thing that I could do. And then I called one of my former roommates, um, who I'm just really close friends with, and I started asking her, like, is this absolutely insane, or is this... Like, fine. What did your friend say? Um, She was like, wow, that's a lot. But she's a very rational person, and she knows me super well. And she said, like, I think that this is not you just acting on a whim and just doing this because you like her a lot. Like, I think this is something that you would do. And I don't know. It's kind of like a why not, right? Like, I I don't want to say what do I have to lose because, like, a kidney. But... (laughs) um, (laughs) But, like, it's one that I don't need, right? So that just, like, made sense to me to do that. Um, like, if another person needs, like, something that you don't need and aren't going to miss, then, like, whatever, right? Why not give it to them? How much time had you spent with Alana when you decided to see if you'd be an eligible donor? 
Um, not a lot. So I think this is probably my, probably our third date. I think it was like our third week, maybe. So it was probably like the fourth time we'd actually hung out, probably. Um, and she's on the couch, and that's what I remember, her being on my couch and like kind of asking casually, like, hey, like, do you think I would be able to get tested, see if I'm a kidney match for you? And I think at the time I was literally setting up my dialysis stuff um, mm-hmm. for the night. Had you told each other you loved each other? No. Yeah, I don't think no. so. <laughs> You're very definite about it. Like, I we didn't. Don't I have the timeline so. in my head a little bit. Okay. We had not. When, when did that happen? Um, I'm not sure exactly when, but I know that it was after I asked her to be my girlfriend. And this was before I asked her to be my girlfriend. So, wait, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. You hadn't defined yeah. the relationship we had before not you yet discussed defined the relationship. <laughs> well, that's actually a funny story. So, like, three days later, we were filling out the, um, initial paperwork that you have to fill out before you go to a, before you get tested to see if you're a match. And there was a, a box that said relationship to the recipient. And I wrote girlfriend and I was like, is this okay? <laughs> so that's, I, that's when we, when we started. Became official. Yes. Yeah. Coming up. They were definitely not thrilled at first. Lori tells her parents that she has a new girlfriend and that she might be giving her a kidney. They hadn't met Alana. They didn't really know I was seeing anyone. Did they think you were being impulsive? Absolutely. Yes, they did. We've been hearing from a lot of you about how this time of isolation and stress has put your relationship status in sharp relief. Those of you who are partnered are, like, very partnered right now. It's a lot of time together, including for some of you who were beginning to consider divorce, and now you're stuck together. Others of you were dating, getting out there, hooking up, and now that's not happening. I've been thinking about intimate, physical touch in our lives right now after a conversation I had with Nick Vanderkolk, the host and creator of the podcast Love & Radio. He and I are both isolating at home with partners and two little kids. I feel too touched right now, to be honest, by two little ones vying for my attention. But if you're isolating alone, we were wondering, how are you dealing with the absence of intimate physical touch from someone else? Nick and I decided to ask both Death, Sex, and Money listeners and Love and Radio listeners about what you're noticing about touch and intimacy and having space to yourself or not, and how it's all making you think about your romantic life, what you're missing, and what you're appreciating. Record a voice memo or write an email and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. 
Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. It was unusual for Alana Duran to get offered a kidney in the first weeks of dating someone from Tinder. But it wasn't the first time that someone in her life had talked about getting tested. She knew not to get her hopes up. I would get a lot of, like what Lori was saying before, how she wanted to blurt it out. Like, oh, I'm O positive. Like, I could probably get tested. I got a lot of that, but with no follow through. And, you know, they just, like, shout it out and don't really mean it. There's no meaning behind it. Uh, So that was fucking annoying, not going (laughs) to lie. Um, But most of my family did get tested. I'm pretty sure, like, a few other friends got tested, and none of them were a match. Um, But then I have, like, you know, just, like, friends who didn't get tested. And, you know, I don't expect anybody to do that because that's a lot to do and ask of someone. So I think really I was just more annoyed with the people who blurted it out and didn't mean it. Alana did know that Lori had started the testing process, but then Lori stopped bringing it up. So I kind of stopped asking about it because I thought, you know, maybe she didn't want to get tested anymore. Maybe she isn't a match and she just, you know, doesn't want to tell me or she kind of just Drop the whole thing altogether. Lori hadn't dropped it, but she didn't want to get Alana's hopes up unless she knew she could really be a donor. And Lori needed to tell her parents. That they were not thrilled about. <laughs> Did that make you feel, like, defensive or, like— Oh, yeah, yeah. I felt defensive, and uh, we argued for, like, a couple days, actually, and— um and they were just scared. You know, that's all it is, is that they were scared because they love me and I love them. So I appreciate that they were scared. But, you know, my, my parents were freaked out. They didn't even know this person. And I was thinking about having major surgery for her. <laughs> and You hadn't introduced Alana to them? No, I hadn't told them yeah. about Alana. <laughs> so I kind of just did all of that in one conversation. And then I, I needed medical history from them. So that's kind of why I asked them this stuff, and then I went for the first doctor's appointment. And then about two weeks later, I found out that I was a match, and I told them that, and they were, again, still really freaked out. But Lori had made up her mind. And after a series of follow-up appointments with doctors, it was time to tell Alana. Um, she was supposed to meet me at my apartment so we could go on a date, and she's late, per usual. And I'm like, where is she? Oh, my God. So she comes into my apartment. And then on the table, there's a box with my name on it. And she says, oh, I got you something. Lori got out her phone and recorded Alana, unwrapping this box full of treats. So I open the box, and it's all of my favorite stuff, my favorite candy, things that I think are cute. Ooh, Star Wars! Is this why you asked for, like, Star Wars? Yeah. Oh. And, you know, I didn't know that at the bottom of the box was going to be... I'm making you choose between me and that damn dialysis machine. (laughs) No matter what, you'll always have a piece of me. Tattoos are rated. Let's get matching scars. No way. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
my mom. <laughs> They both posted this video on Facebook, and it got shared a lot. First by people they knew, then strangers. A filmmaker reached out to ask if she could follow them as they went through the transplant process. So there were cameras there on the day, weeks later, when Lori and Alana both went into surgery. Love you so much, sweetheart. I love you, Mama. It took place early on a winter morning. Both their families were there. Alana and Lori had known each other for four months. That's the best gift ever. We know that, right? They were wheeled into surgical rooms right next to each other. Surgeons removed Lori's left kidney, walked into the next room, and put it into Alana. Alana, you have a new kidney. And then Lori and Alana waited together to see if Alana's body would accept Lori's kidney. My main concern was that we were going to come out of the surgery and find out that the whole thing was was for nothing and that I couldn't help her. And just um tell me about tell me about when you're in recovery and you learn that the kidney is working inside Alana's body, Lori. What was that like? Um it was just like a flood of relief. Yeah, I just didn't feel like I could really rest until I knew that. And when I knew that, like, it just, it all, it was just all so worth it. Alana, what's changed in your life now that you have a functioning kidney? Well, for the most part, one, I do have a functioning kidney, and I can actually pee before on dialysis. I, like, would not pee at all. So you just kind of stop peeing when you're on dialysis? Yeah, for the most part. Maybe I didn't know go, that. Maybe like, once a day in, or, like, twice a day, like, once in the morning and, like, try to go once before bed but like it was unproductive pee that's what I'd call it an unproductive pee (laughs) I felt like I had to go but I couldn't um so that was the biggest change like immediate change for me do you feel like oh right sorry most important most important part sorry Lori was motioning at me that oh it also increased my heart function her kidney oh that is important so (laughs) yeah remember when I said I was at the time I was when it was really bad, it was at 10%. Um, but then after that, it increased, I think, to 40 And then the last echocardiogram I had was 62%, which is normal. So I now have a normal heart function thanks to Lori's kidney. Sorry, yeah. I didn't want to toot my own horn there, but I was like, yeah, that's a pretty <laughs> significant one to leave out. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've earned some tooting, Lori. <laughs> Toot <you>. away. <laughs> thanks. You're in a long-term relationship together. You were in the early part of that relationship when you went through this really intense thing. Like, do you remember the first time... Do you remember the first time you got mad at each other after the surgery? I really don't. I don't know. No. Like, there were, like, I think that for at least three months, we were just, like, so happy that everything went well. There was no fighting, and then, yeah, I feel like I it must have been remember. in the summer at least. Several months afterwards. Yeah. Oh, it might have been when I called Alana and told her I was going to move to Michigan. <laughs> so she called me, and she always prefaced, like, something bad. It's like, okay, don't get mad at me. Or, like, okay, I have some bad news, but, like, it's not my fault. Or, you know, something like that. Um, and she's like, I had accepted into University of Michigan Law School. And I was like, wow, that's great. But now you're leaving. And... 
I still have another year of school left. And like, I can't, I can't, I can't leave and go with you. I wasn't mad per se. I was just like, what? Like already? It was like the first tension. And this is still just a few months after your surgeries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, she was great and she was supportive, but I think that she was scared and maybe a little bit annoyed. Like, I don't know if I want to move to Michigan in a year, right? So it just kind of added an element. Lori, was there a part of you that worried about leaving Alana? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, like, I totally trust that she has, like, such a great support system. But, yeah, I was worried that she would have to go to the hospital at some point. Um, That happened, like, immediately after the surgery. There was, like, a night where we had to, you know, Alana had to go to the hospital and get the kidney checked on because she was not doing well. And I definitely worried, at least for the first few months, that that could just happen at any time. I know that, like, right now Alana's doing really well health-wise, but I also know that that could just change at any time. Um, And, like, I'm definitely super, like, willing to always take care of her, but I think that that's, like, something that always is just in the back of my head a little bit is that, like, one day she could get sick again. And that's, if she does, that'll be a big part of our lives. How do do you talk about, like the power dynamic in your relationship. I think in any relationship, there's there's a, a, a partner who might be more needy in a moment and another who can give more, and sometimes that shifts back and forth. You all have had a very extreme example of that. How, how have you talked about that? I think that Lori did a really good job um, starting the conversation. So Lori said something like, you know, even though I'm giving you a kidney, it you know, we don't have to stay together. If you want to break up, you can break up. Like, you don't have to stay with me because I gave you a kidney. Um, and that was really nice to hear. I mean, I wasn't planning on breaking up with her. But to know that, you know, because, like, I don't know how to explain it. Someone gave me a p- literal piece of them. Like, what? Like, you know, I can't repay them for that. Um, so, like... Kind of in my mind, I was thinking, like, oh, you know, I can't break up with Lori because she gave me a kidney. That would be terrible. People would be really, really mad at me. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. There's a lot of pressure there. And, like, having Lori come in and say, hey, you know, if you need to break up with me because it's not working, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, obviously, it's going to suck. But just because I gave you a kidney does not mean you have to stay with me forever. Do you think that's true, that even though it's something that's been said, that you would find, like, that that's something that you could you could do? Lori, I didn't want you to find out this way. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's. I think it's true. I mean, I we haven't put it to the test. Um, <laughs> But I think if I needed to, I would be able to. What about you? I mean, Alana can definitely break up with me. My mom pointed that out, like, super early on to me, that, like, this is maybe not the best thing for a brand-new relationship. And uh, Alana and I talked about it immediately. We talked about it before um, the surgery, like, far before the surgery, yeah. And 
Like, I remember even saying, like, if you want to break up with me before the surgery, like, this is brand new. If you, like, you're cool and we can be friends and it doesn't have to be, like, that's not why I'm doing it. So, I mean, I hope that she knows that she can break up with me. Like, I mean, I, I don't want her to break up with me ever, but, like, if it happens, like, it will be treated like a normal breakup. That's Lori Interlicchio and Alana Duran. After our first conversation, Alana moved to Michigan to live with Lori while she finished up law school. After graduation, they moved together to Washington, D.C., and this past fall, they decided to break up. Lori wrote on Instagram, Our romantic relationship is ending, but we still love and care for each other very much. All that you need to know, Internet, is that nobody did anything wrong. The documentary about Lori and Alana and the kidney they've shared is called Bean. It's available on Amazon Prime and many other streaming services, too. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based usually at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Afi Yellowduke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Ayo Osubamiro. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And thanks to Rachel Manwill in Idaho, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Rachel and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can email us anytime at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. We love hearing from you. Alana told me she had just started getting back on the dating apps when the pandemic hit. Her first in-person date ended up getting canceled. And maybe it's just the universe saying, hey, maybe you're not as ready as you think right now. Just keep talking to people. Maybe you can meet them in a month or two. <laughs> so, I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.